Let us pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning, we pray that your word takes root in our heart, renews us and transforms us by your grace and your mercy, by your love, pointing us ever towards your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let us be filled by him, with him, and through him. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For many people, if you ask them about the church calendar year, it's almost a non-question. For example, if I asked you, what are some of the events of a church calendar year? Most people would say, well, there's Easter and Christmas. And that's all I know. Right? They'd be pretty hard-pressed to say, are there any other events throughout the year? And if you go a little further, people might say, well, there's Advent, there's Lent for those churches that do Lent, and then there's Holy Week, and you can do Ash Wednesday and Palm Sunday and Good Friday. But after that, you kind of go, well, I don't know. That's about all. But did you know that each and every week we actually confess about several events throughout the church calendar year? For example, in the Nicene Creed, it says he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. So the clue's in there. You got the clue? Yes, he ascended into heaven. The ascension of Jesus. It goes by really fast, and we normally don't give it a whole lot of attention. But it is recorded in Luke at the very end, and it is recorded in Acts. And it comes 40 days after the resurrection. We're a little early this year. We, uh, the, if we were going to celebrate it 40 days afterwards, it would be on May 30th. And next Sunday would be really Ascension Sunday. But we're going to spend some time on it here because it's going to be a perfect lead-in for our series on the Holy Spirit. And we are going to culminate that on another church calendar event. You know that one? What happens? Pentecost. Pentecost is another church event. So we are going to be doing our series on the Holy Spirit leading up to the day of Pentecost. And thus, I wanted to do the Ascension today. We also have purple on the cross talking about the glory of Christ Jesus, who is our risen Lord and Savior, who is our King. So the Ascension, two parts, really. Why is it important? And then to finish off our series, well, now what? So let's go into this. Why is the ascension important? The first is that it was real. Now, there are a lot of people who actually deny that Jesus ever existed. One agnostic, Bart Ehrman, he calls them Jesus mythers. People who actually deny that Jesus even existed. 
they would say that our faith is just a blind faith that is a faith without any grounding in any reality whatsoever. It is just a hope that we have. It is a figment of our imagination. This is what a lot of people would say. Even if, even if they say Jesus was real, they would say your faith is null and void because it's just based on myth. But the resurrection was not based on myth. It was not a figment of our imagination. It was not just a spiritual event. It was recorded. It was seen by eyewitnesses, and we have the testimony of eyewitnesses. Remember, Luke started the book, the gospel, according to Luke. He says, Dear Theophilus, I've taken the time. I've looked at all the history. I've interviewed very carefully the eyewitnesses. And he also then carries that through in the book of Acts. He says, In the first book, O Theophilus, and that was the gospel according to Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke very carefully lays this out. He says, Jesus gave them many proofs, appearing to them over 40 days. Now, when you take a look at Scripture, 40 is a number that God likes to use many times. How many years were the Israelites in the desert? 40 years. How many days was Moses up on the mountain, Mount Sinai? 40 days, right? And uh, how, uh, how many... Actually, here's another one. How many days... Did it rain with Noah? 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights. So 40, right? We find this number 40 used again and again and again. And in my research, it's really hard to pin down the significance of why 40 days is important. The best I can do is to say that it had to do with a period of trial, a period of testing, in which ultimately there is renewal. And so we could see that with Jesus being with them, and ultimately there's a renewal, his ascension into heaven. But I want to give you a much more mundane idea of why 40 days is important. Because over 40 days, it negates any doubt that the Lord was real and was with them. Look, if he appeared to just one of you, over a period of 40 days, the rest of us would kind of go, I don't know what you saw. You could be like Thomas, right? Mm, I don't know. But he, look, if he appeared to this side five times over 40 days, and then on this side 10 times over 40 days, together you'd say, he is a risen Lord, right? The reality of Jesus being risen And it is this, our faith in the resurrection is based on the historicity 
of the resurrection, that it actually happened in a time, in a place, with people who witnessed it. Our faith in the ascension is also based on the historicity of the ascension. This is what Peter wrote. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So it's real. It wasn't just a spiritual event, but Christ actually ascended into heaven. That is the first point here. The second point is that it was necessary. Now, throughout Scripture, you can find passages that say it was necessary, it was prophesied that he would ascend into heaven. Jesus talks a little bit about this in John chapter 6. I'm just going to read verse 62. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? But I want to give you a different one to think about. John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is telling his disciples before his crucifixion that he has to go and prepare a place for you. For them. And here's what I want you to notice. He didn't say, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. That's actually not what the text says. The text says this. He says, and if and I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Isn't that interesting? He says, I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What a sweet word that is. You want to know where heaven is? With Jesus. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, that you may be with me. So here's a question. How does he prepare that place? How does he go and prepare And I'd like you to consider this. Jesus prepares that place for us both as our Lord and Savior and as our high priest and intercessor. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 16 says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And finally, verse Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 For Christ has not entered into into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear at the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus, as our high priest, 
offered up himself as a perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who is without sin. He offered up himself so that we would be covered by his blood, which means that we are declared righteous. That the death, that sin, the wages of sin, the death has passed over us so that we can stand before him, with him, the very throne of God. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And I do that because I have offered myself as a sacrifice and now I stand as your intercessor before the throne of God. He has prepared a place for us. And because he has prepared a place for us, we have great confidence. The ascension is important because it brings us great confidence that Jesus has gone before and now awaits us. Isn't that good news? That he is there awaiting for you. It was real. It was necessary. It was also a coronation. How many of you have seen God clouds before? God clouds? You know what I'm talking about? Where the wonderful majesty of the clouds are there and the sun is shining through? You've seen those clouds. I bet you've even stopped at the roadside when you're driving and say, pull over for a moment. We've got to stop and look at those. Clouds bring you to a halt because they show you some type of majesty, don't they? Something greater than yourself. God has used clouds throughout Scripture to, for us to get a glimpse of his majesty, of his power, of his might. The, the clouds were on Mount Sinai. The clouds were with the Israelites in the desert. The transfiguration, the clouds were there, right? In the book of Daniel, chapter 7, the Son of Man descending on the clouds of glory, and now here he is ascending into heaven in the clouds of glory, the majesty and might. What the disciples saw, and it would have been, wouldn't it have been great to see it, to be there? What the disciples saw was a glimpse of the exaltation of Christ Jesus coming into his glory. One commentator said this, he said, Psalm 24, which was one of our readings today, anticipates the grandeur and the spectacle associated with the homecoming of the Son of God. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. So the question then is, who is this King of glory? And the reply comes to Christ's title, the Lord strong and the mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. This was a homecoming celebration for Christ. The crown of thorns was replaced by the crown of glory. 
He had defeated Satan. He had defeated sin. He had defeated death. And now the king of glory comes in. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Do you remember on the night of his birth, the heavens broke into song, right? I would imagine coming in into the ascension, the heavens again broke into great song at the homecoming of the lion, the lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ. We get a glimpse of that song in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. All of creation singing his praises. You see, we worship a living Lord, the King in his glory. It was real, it was necessary, and it was his homecoming, his coronation. Now, can you imagine, right? You're standing there. You see this. And you're like the disciples, like, now what? Now what do we do? I bet they were just, as the English say, gobsmacked. Their jaws were dropped down. Now what? You ever heard the song, Are We There Yet? Now, there's a couple variations of of the song. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I don't think you heard me say, are we there yet? One, two, three, four. I declare a thumb war. Anybody know that one? No? Okay. But, you know, kids are obsessed with the final destination, right? And if you've ever been on a trip with kids, you know this song, whether they sing those words or not. Are we there yet? And it's like, we're on the trip. There's things to do on the trip. But as human beings, we always want to be that final destination. And many followers of Jesus Christ sing a version of that song. Verse 6 from our reading so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still waiting for him to restore the kingdom of Israel. That was, are they there yet? They were more interested in the second coming. When, O oh Lord, O oh when, will it all be restored? And you and I often sing the same song. <sighs> Are we there yet? Are we done? When's the second coming? Please, Lord, come soon. I know some of you have prayed something like that. I know that. Yeah, amen, right? We, we do. And here's where the church at large can get really off track because we start to focus on the end and forget the here and now. We really do. We forget the here and now. Let me tell you, There are a lot of people who focus on the second coming. There was one, uh, William William Miller. He said the second coming was going to be on October 22nd, 1844. 
And there were a lot of people who believed him. And they sold everything. Some of them waited on the hillside, standing there, waiting for the rapture. And then it didn't happen. And it was called the great disappointment. By the way, Seventh-day Adventists and Jehovah's Witnesses can trace their roots back to Miller. They're called Millerites. Now there's another one. Hal Lindsey. Anybody know Hal Lindsey? The late great earth, 1970. He's been making a lot of money about the end of the earth. As a matter of fact, he wrote in 1996 that Christians should make no plan after the year 2000. But I think one of my favorites is Harold Camping. On September 17th, 1994, the world was going to end. Then May 21st, 2011. Then October 21st, 2011, Harold Camping died in 2013. You see, but, but we want to focus on the end. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And forget the here and now. What did Jesus say? He said, it is not for you to know the times of seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. It's like being in the car and the dad says, don't ask about that. There are things to do now. And the point is this, it is pointless and, uh, to, and unprofitable, it is pointless and unprofitable to speculate as to when Jesus will return. We're to focus on the here and now. But the disciples were probably like deer in the headlight, so an angelic messenger, right, two, two men came and kind of shook them a little bit out of their, their dumbfoundedness. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's going to come back. Know that for certain. And now there's work to do. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is what he said. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is very similar to what he said in Matthew, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Here the mandate is to be witnesses. You see, the whole book of Acts could be summed up in this phrase, being a witness for Jesus. Read the book of Acts. The whole book of Acts can be summed up being a witness for Jesus. B 
being a witness. Now, Luke emphasizes this quite a bit. Verse 9, he talks about seeing eyewitness testimony again and again and again. Now, being a witness for Jesus. Some of you might hear this like, well, we have to be missionaries to somewhere else because all the ends of the earth. But he didn't say that, did he? He said, here, being a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, the larger nation of Israel, and the ends of the earth. Being a witness here in Fountain Hills. That's the mandate. Now, I know that is scary for a lot of people, being a witness for Jesus. Do you mean I have to go door to door too? No. I mean, you could. Maybe some of you should, as a matter of fact. But it means being a witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, effective witness can only be born where the Spirit is. And where the Spirit is, effective witness will follow. Going out on their own without the power of the Holy Spirit isn't effective. Now, we are to pray to be led by the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit. And I want to let you know, if you confess Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've been baptized, you're filled by the Spirit. You already are. You don't have to wait around thinking, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm, re- I'm, I'm not ready, I need you. Give me a sign, right? Look, no, if you have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, you've been baptized, you are given the power of the Holy Spirit now. Not later, but now. So are you praying for that? See, some of us just want a sign. You wanted a sign? Here it is, God. Let me tell you how this plays out in real life sometimes. There's a fellow, Norman Cates. He told a story of about a, a man who prayed a prayer every morning. Lord, if you want me to witness to somebody today, please give me a sign to show me who it is. So one day he found himself on a bus. And on the bus, he was there, and another man sat next to him. Bus was full, so the guy sat right down next to him. And here's this timid Christian, right? And he's sitting right next to this guy, and this guy just starts to burst into tears. He starts to weep. He he says, I need to be saved. I'm a lost sinner, and I need the Lord. Won't somebody please show me how to be saved? And he turns to the guy, the Christian next to him, and says, can you show me how to be saved? And the Christian says, Lord, please let me know. Is this the sign? Yeah. See, a lot of us are waiting to be hit over the head, whereas there are so many people just as you walk along the way who, if you would engage, you'd pray, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, give me the courage I need, give me the power. 
and put people in my path. Put people in my path. Jesus said, you're supposed to be my witness. Not a silent witness, but a witness that engages. See, the ascension is real. And if I were going to sum up the whole thing, it's two words. Rejoice and witness. Rejoice that we have a Savior who suffered, died, rose again, and is set into heaven and has prepared a place for those in him. And then witness and tell people about the joy of our risen and ascended Lord. You can have confidence in him, have confidence given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. God's peace and joy in Christ Jesus be with you.